Hello. This is the Fightback Podcast, hosted by exercise scientist Georgia Very. Here, you'll find a series of honest conversations about martial arts and mental health. My guests and I explore the statement that every martial artist has heard. Martial arts saved me. How and why do combat sports save people? Listen to find out. Before you get into today's episode, I have a really important favor to ask you. So you know how we've worked out that martial arts seem to be able to save lives? Well, I want to work out how we can do that on a global scale. So I'm hosting an international conference to uncover what is best practice for trauma-informed martial arts so that we can create an evidence-based therapeutic tool. After this conference, I'm going to be able to take this document to government, lobby for funding, and create training programs to upskill more people as trauma-informed martial arts instructors. This is going to mean that trauma-informed martial arts become accessible around the world to those who need them most. It's really, really important work that I'm doing, and you can help. So please pause this episode jump into the show notes and check out the GoFundMe page that I've linked. If you can donate, that is amazing. If you're unable to donate, please share the page to your social media. Both of those things really, really help the cause and you could save someone's life by gifting them the gift of martial arts. Okay, so I'll see you back here in a minute. Go do that and then we'll get into today's episode. Everyone, welcome to the Fight Back podcast. I'm here today with my amazing friend, Monique Beaver, who is a psychologist and trauma-informed yoga facilitator. And we've got such exciting news to share with you all. But Monique, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's so exciting we're finally here. <laughs> I know. Monique, let's start with a bit about you, your background, and then we'll get into how we met. Yeah, sure. So as you said, uh, I'm a psychologist and yoga facilitator. So I um, started off doing psychology, left school, did the uni thing. Um, But I'd had a background as a dancer. And so movement was always this very inherent, um, intrinsic home for me. Um, And I remember being 17 and 18 and making this choice between dancing and psychology and I chose psychology for all the reasons you do and you think and you believe at that age but there was always kind of something missing in the work I was doing with people and I always found myself coming back to yoga or movement practices or breath practices and it was maybe so I've been in this for about 10 years now maybe at like the seven, eight-year mark, uh, I was invited to a weekend workshop to do trauma-sensitive yoga just to get a feel for it with a colleague. And she was like, I think you'd really vibe this. I'm like, sure, I'll go give it a go. And it just opened up this world that I was like, oh, there's this entire different way of working with people that it doesn't have to be so thought-focused and, you know, changing the cognitions and thinking positive. There was this whole other world to learn about in regards to the body and somatics. And from there, I ended up doing an introductory workshop to somatic movement therapy. And that was really when all the pieces dropped for me and that I could kind of see how all this stuff was linked up. And then from there, I ended up going and doing, I think that was in February, two or three years ago. And then by the October, I'd gone over to Bali and done a month over there to do my yoga training. And that just radically changed so much for me in that um, I left the job I was in in private practice and I ended up setting up my own space to do psychology and yoga and then that's where my own trauma-sensitive yoga eight-week programs came up and they've been happening ever since and yeah I love it I really love it. It makes me so happy. Can you tell everyone what is the difference between traditional yoga and trauma-sensitive yoga? Yeah, I think that's a really important question to ask because I feel like this word trauma is such a buzzword at the moment. Like everyone's just kind of chucking it out. Like you're hearing it in the psych world, you're hearing it, you know, in the coaching and self-development world. 
And firstly, I want to say that trauma, I think when people hear trauma, and I know I've had a lot of people come to me and they're like, but like nothing really bad has happened to me. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not traumatized. And there's kind of this negative connotation with it. And what I want to say from the outset is that trauma is anything that is confusing, distressing, upsetting, or scary for a person. And it is on a spectrum. It's not about comparing one person's experiences to another. If you consider an experience of yours as one of those four things, there's likely trauma there. And so trauma-sensitive yoga is different to, I guess, your more traditional yoga practices, your community, your gym yoga practices, in that it is a gentle practice with lots of choice given. And the focus is less on the sequences, the shapes, the, um, you know, some people might call that the poses, less focus on flexibility and strength. It's really about working exactly with where you're at and being present in the moment and then taking effective action and choices for what feels right for your body. So for some people, they might come in and they might want to move a bit more. For other people, you might have someone on the mat next to you who's just like, nope, I just need to be in child shape or I just need to lie down for this session. I don't actually want to stand up. So there's a lot more... Um, freedom for lack of a better word around that um and it's not you know there's no hands-on assist there's you know we're not going to be talking about you know any yoga mythology or stories or anything like that the real focus is on being exactly where you're at in your body um and the, the premise of this is that if we think about trauma the reason that that often happens is because there's been a loss of power or control in one's life in a certain experience or cumulative over time. So trauma-sensitive yoga, rather than talking about how we can get control back in our lives and feel empowered again, it's like let's get out of our head and get back into our body and experience what it could feel like to make choices again, what it could feel like and how you can embody making choices again. And so I really like that there's then that connection of we're not just thinking it and hoping it's going to change. We're actually shifting stuff in our body. Yeah, I love it. Matt, anyone who knows a bit about my program knows that a lot of it is rooted in theory that David Emerson and pioneers in trauma-sensitive yoga put together as the framework for, you know, what are the guiding principles? What are some of the things that we're looking for? And choice is one of the really big ones that I think Choice is so fantastic to include as a facilitator, not just because it's empowering and it helps people embody making choices and doing something differently and getting out of their heads. But I find, and I don't know if you found the same thing, but at the end of an eight-week course, compared to teaching traditionally where you're telling someone everything they're doing wrong and adjusting their technique, like is totally normal and, and some people like and want in a traditional kickboxing sense. But I find when they're choosing how to do it at, at the end of the eight weeks, their technique looks very similar and very good relative to someone who's gone through the traditional path. Do you find a similar thing? Yeah, totally. And I think there is something about the body wisdom there that we've lost that ability to trust that our body is going to be able to course correct. You know, it, the whole purpose of the body is to notice when something feels out of balance. So if it feels out of balance and we can connect to that, it is going to course correct itself. And we've lost that ability to be able to trust and feel into that because we are so disconnected from our body for a whole lot of reasons. Um, and I think what is becoming more, particularly in the yoga world, there's, I guess it feels like there's more of this move towards this individual acceptance of each body. You know, no one, no two people's femurs or alignment is going to be exactly the same. I think, you know, over the years it was like if you can get your posture a certain way and you can do things a certain way, then this is great. And it's like we're learning more and more that, yes, of course, whilst there's things around safety, you know, if someone's doing something that I'm like, you're about to dislocate your knee, you know, I'm going to say something, you know, there's going to, and not necessarily that it will be directive, but it might be an invitation out into the space around, you might like to notice whether, you know, this is in line with this. 
but it's not saying you there, you have to change this and you're about to do this. So it's this, again, this choice of whether you're tuning in and you're listening to what these invitations could be as opposed to directives. Yeah, absolutely. And then let's talk about how we met. So I'll let you tell the story, actually. You're the guest. How did we meet? Oh, I think it was through the Embodiment Conference, wasn't it? It was, it was. Yeah, yeah. like, how did we meet? I've just known you forever. This is a quiz, this is a quiz. <laughs> You're like, oh, crap, we're on air. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, we were both taking part and I guess you were actually, was that the point where you were talking in it or were you... That wasn't, I hadn't even presented anything yet. I don't think I had even run my first program, but I was posting being like, yeah, yeah I'm a trauma-informed kickboxing coach. Totally. <laughs> this is the program that I'm working on. And, <laughs> and I, I remember and I, us commenting back and forth and I yeah. was like, dude, that's so cool. Like I'm doing that in the yoga world. Tell me all about the things. And yeah. I like, it is a bit of a blur, but I just remember us jamming back and forth around that and then going like there's, you know, of course, you know, you came and asked me about any resources and stuff that could be helpful. And um, I had also had a background in my own fitness journey, you know, around doing my own kind of kickboxing and stuff like that. And that was a part of my life that had been paused for a couple of years for a whole lot of reasons. And so there was quite like that personal buy-in as well that it was like, oh, you know, you're reigniting this part of my life that I forgot about, but I really loved it. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'd always been like, oh, it'd be really cool to, you know, have this trauma-informed space, but, you know, for for other things outside of yoga and particularly, you know, when we talk about women's empowerment, kickboxing and that kind of stuff always comes into it. And I remember for my business, we'd had a couple of conversations with colleagues about how we were going to do it and it just always kind of fell through. I kind of look at that now and I'm like, thanks, universe. <laughs> There's something interesting to that. And then, yeah, and then when we met, it was just like the, these pieces all kind of fell into place. And actually I really want to say thank you to you as well because, like, it also reignited my love for this trauma-informed work and the trauma-sensitive yoga, I think, when you're running something, you know, I think I'd been running it for two or three years when I had met you and you kind of just get into that, um, you know, rhythm of just running that same program. Of course, every group is going to be slightly different, but the content is relatively the same. And meeting you and having these conversations really reignited that fire again to go, oh, like this is why it's important. And, you know, there's, there's such a bigger scope of what we can be doing in this space which is really exciting so thank you dear Georgia for that (laughs) so sweet so I I will add to that too to say that when I met you I had spoken to quite a few psychologists but um, in very much a capacity of them saying yes we like what you're doing here's a couple of minor things you might consider tweaking and certainly a couple of somatic experiencing psychologists gave me some extra direction looking things through the so somatic experiencing is commonly referred to as SE so the SE lens but it was when you said you should read trauma sensitive yoga David Emerson's book now I read that and I could see really what was going to be different in trauma sensitive kickboxing or we call it trauma informed kickboxing compared to what we're doing regularly beyond just being a space where it is accepted that you might need to take some time or beyond it just being a very inviting, accepting, kind space, that there were some real key differences in the language that was used um, in particular. And that that really gave me a lot of confidence going into the program to say, okay, this is not something that's completely just come out of my head. This has come out of many, many people's heads. And now let's see how that works. And of of course, it's been tweaked a little bit as I've run, you know, more programs and that's always going to happen. But to have that initial framework and that really came from when I met you and we started talking about what happens in trauma-sensitive yoga and so that we could start to apply that in the kickboxing. So that was amazing. And then I think one of the other really cool things was having you in one of my programs because like we just said before, you know, there's 
And I, I wish, I almost think a, a friend of mine, Sean, runs Mindful Martial Arts is the name of his school in Canada. And I, and I sometimes think Mindful Kickboxing or and, and I have another program called Mindful Muscles. And I sometimes wonder whether that language isn't even more useful just because I think even people who, like I say, they're like, I don't have trauma, I don't identify as having some big event, I think doing something through this lens and taking the time to be really present and explore what's happening with your body and, and even like so your experience with coming and doing the program and having you know, progression in being okay with not pushing yourself too hard. You know, that was like one of your big things in the program and that you can have that alongside other people in the program who are maybe battling and it feels like more immense things. But I think for everyone to slow down and think like how how's my body doing, what do I want to do is just so useful. It just trauma-informed just seems like it, really puts it into such a small box when really I think that this is the way to facilitate classes. Totally. And I couldn't agree more. I remember a couple of years ago I was running, um, I think I had called it mindful yoga uh, and it was that kind of idea, right? Like this playing with this languaging and I think there's still so much play to do around the languaging. And, yes, it wasn't as... It was more um, a hatha and I guess more sequence style based class of yoga, but still this emphasis on potentially slowing down um, because I guess, you know, for some people that that's really difficult to do. Well, for a lot of us, let's be honest, it is difficult to slow down and I guess it is around how we're bringing, like, I think we we forget the importance of this languaging as well. I think it's, you know, even offline something for us to riff about more because I think it's a whole other conversation. Um, but, yeah, that, you know, that idea of that mindful yoga and, you know, that's, that's part of why my business is called Mindfully Curious because it is my touchstone to come back to to go, right, mindfulness, curious, you know, all these things that are antidotes to fear, trauma, anxiety, uh, you know, we can't be in a mindful or a curious space if we're also experiencing all of that stuff. Um, so, that, yeah, that's what I really like about the work that you and I are both doing is that it allows for that curiosity. It's not about a right or wrong. It's not about it has to be this way or it has to be that way. And it's not even really, you know, like, yes, you can set an intention for yourself that you might want to use that class to slow down, but it's like you don't even have to set an intention, you know, like it's just being. So there's less of that outcome focus as well, which I really like. You know, as human beings, we're automatically going to set an intention or a goal, whether it's just arriving and being present, whether it's slowing down, like, automatically we're going to do that stuff but I like that there's not this pressure to do that you know like a lot of yoga classes you might enter and you're like set an intention set a same kalpa for the class and it's like there isn't any of that pressure there of going what's my intention is it going to be right is it going to be wrong and then if you don't hit that intention at the end of the class it's like oh crap I failed you know it's like there isn't any of that pressure in these classes which you know is really permission giving Totally. And I think if we talk about language, I really like the title for our joint project, which is a super exciting announcement. So we are bringing the Curiosity Project, which is a combined program where you get to taste trauma-sensitive yoga and trauma-informed kickboxing in the one program. Can you say a little bit more about it? Sure. I know. I'm just here like doing shoulder movements and excitement. And then I'm like, oh, wait, this is audio. No one's seeing that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, goes, it, does, it will go on YouTube, but I don't think anyone watches on YouTube. In my body, though, there is movement <laughs> and excitement. <laughs> yeah. So um, we are putting together a four week introductory program. So it really is a taster program. So if you've been thinking about trying trauma sensitive yoga or You've been kind of wanting a bit more movement as well and wanting to go more into that kickboxing space. 
maybe you've been thinking about getting into gym classes, but that just kind of feels too much right now. This can be a really good starting space for foundational, um, I guess that foundational kickboxing, but then also to have that connection to your body. And so what's going to happen is it's going to be over four weeks, two sessions a week. Uh, It will be Tuesday mornings in our class doing the yoga, Thursday mornings doing the kickboxing, and there's going to be a consistent theme over each week. So there is going to be a link in the yoga classes as well as the kickboxing classes. And so we're going to be looking at things like um, the nervous system and the window of tolerance. Okay, if you don't know what that means right now. But, um, yeah, looking at that, looking at the breath, looking at choosing where your attention goes, you know, this real idea of empowerment and permission, giving within the space, um, and also a lot about self-compassion and kindness towards yourself and exactly where you're at. Um, And not in a let's think positive and all that, but in a really, like, grounded, um, nourishing way. Totally. And I think curiosity, like being the name of it, is so perfect for on so many levels, right? It's like you're curious about kickboxing and yoga and you want to try them out a little bit. Great. Then even during every single class, if you stay curious, there's no good or bad or right or wrong. There's no good or bad technique. There's no right or wrong muscle activation and feeling. And I mean, one of my clients so beautifully nailed this last night the night before where she said you know I could feel something happening in my hip flexor which for anyone listening can be a scary muscle to feel any kind of muscular fatigue or tightness in because it's the only muscle that connects our lower and upper body so it's the only muscle that causes us to curl up in the fetal position and it often holds trauma and she said, oh, you know, I could, I could feel something was happening in my hip flexor and I just stayed curious. With This isn't bad. I don't even know what this is. I'm just going to hold space and just see what happens. And it didn't get any worse. It didn't really change. And now I'm just noticing how my use of my core muscles and the way that I hold my posture might change that. And I'm, I'm just being curious about following it. Mm. oh my god so so beautiful it's amazing and that really is the attitude that I think is like not again to bring in that there's a right or wrong but if you hold that attitude at every point in your day you know you somebody says something to you and it and it lands and it makes you get upset rather than straight away getting upset be curious about why am I feeling upset right now and it could come back to, is there something in my story? Is there something in my past, the, what, the way that my parents modeled for me that might make me feel that? Am I tired? Am I hungry? Or is there a need that I have that's not being met and I need to have a conversation? Whatever it is. But when you get curious, you can really figure out exactly what it is that your body is asking for, wants and needs. And it takes you out of that reactivity space. And it's just it's, it's practice and I think the more time you can practice being curious and being mindful, the more it becomes default and that's where programs like this are really cool, I think, because it's hard to meditate for a lot of people and you can probably speak to this better than I can. Meditating with your eyes closed, just focusing on your breath, why might that be scary for somebody coming in, particularly if they do identify with having trauma? Yeah, I mean, you saying eyes closed and breathing, it's like you know, I would say higher than 50% of my clients are like, hell no, I ain't doing that. Um, Whereas, yeah, if we're giving the invitation around, you might like to close down your eyes or you might like to choose a spot in front of you or you might like to look at, you know, if often where I'm teaching, there might be some kind of image behind me. So it might be an invitation to, you might like to close down your eyes pick a point in front of you or have a look at the image behind me. And so, again, it gives them this choice and knowing that they might start with their eyes closed but then want to open them. Or um, like you said, with the breath, you know, we know that on that, I know you did a post about this the other day, Georgia, about that, the inhale actually activating that fight-flight response, that danger response for us, whereas the exhale puts us more in the rest-digest system. But for a lot of people, that initial activation, 
that is scary, you know, and based on what has happened for them, this connection to the breath can really be a sensory overwhelm. And so even, you know, one of the meditations that I do in the program is around embodiment of the breath. But what I really like about it is it's inviting um, it's inviting a potential focus on different parts of the breath if you choose. But then there's also that invitation around, okay, there might be a certain part of the breath you feel comfortable paying attention to, but, hey, if none of it sits for you, great, let's go back to thinking about the sounds in the room, the feeling of, you know, your body on the floor, whatever it may be. So, again, it's this invite. And, you know, we... It's not as facilitators, we can't assume to know everything that's going on for everyone's experience. So there, there is the invitation for everyone, but there's also the compassion for us that we, um, I guess it really comes down to that trust in the other person for them to be experiencing and knowing their own body. So even if they're doing something completely different to what you have suggested, that that deep trust in knowing that their body is theirs and that that is right for them at this time. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because every class is going to be different depending on where everybody is at at the one time. And with that curiosity piece you were talking about before, I guess another thing to mention with that, like, Yes, that curiosity, it's its totally a practice. It's absolutely a skill. Like it's something that, you know, you're building every day and it's not like we're sitting here going, yeah, we're curious every second of the day. Hell no, we're human and, you know, we could go days and forget about this curiosity thing. Like, you know, as I said, for me, the reason I'm, I call my business that is a touchstone and a reminder for me around actually, yeah, when you're getting caught up all in your head, come back, come back, come back. So it's that constant practice of thanks, brain, I'm noticing where you're going, but I'm going to choose to come back to the here and now. And, you know, with that curiosity piece, so many times we're not going to notice in that initial moment, like if we're reacting to something, if we're triggered, uh, if we have an emotion come up, it may be really difficult to notice what's going on in that moment but then there's also the in hindsight and after the moment that we can then reflect on that to go okay what was that like you said what was that trying to tell me what message did it have for me what did I need what sensations did I notice so it's not it's not even that you have to be curious in the moment if you can great awesome but even then you can still come back and I guess the beautiful thing about all this is we now that we know now, look at me, I'm like, blah, 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 all the things. <laughs> Grounded, we're talking about trauma sensitive. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we know that there's so much research now in neuroplasticity and the brain and the body constantly evolving and constantly changing. So even if stuff has happened, even if, you know, you're feeling like you're more wired or have more of an anxious or stressed temperament. We know that this stuff gets to shift, gets to change. And and it's up to us how much attention we want to focus on this stuff as well. And I think that's a really beautiful piece of, of hope there for anyone who's coming in and doing these classes and, you know, starting to practice or um, embodying these skills further. Now, I know you have resources for this on your website where I would direct people to go to if they are interested in this term that comes up sometimes on this show and I came up quite a bit early on, which is the window of tolerance. Yeah. Can you explain it briefly? And then I think we'll direct everyone to, if they want to dive a little bit more deeply into it, to check out the free resource on your website. Yeah, totally. So the window of tolerance is a theory that explains how our, ne- our ooh, words, <laughs> how our nervous system <laughs> works and based on our life experiences. So we're all going to have this window essentially of what our nervous system can tolerate. So that's the place where we've we're feeling clear, calm, collected, uh, you know, we're carrying on with our daily life, things are feeling okay and we're carrying on. 
what happens based on our life experiences, that window of tolerance is either going to expand and we feel like we can take on a lot more, but we're still feeling really grounded and available through that. Or if we're having more, I guess, like like for lack of a better word, negative experiences Mm -hmm. and a domino effect, that window of tolerance is going to shrink. So we're going to have less room to move within that window. And so what we will find is that people are either in the window and they're carrying on with life. They might be on the edges of the window, so feeling a bit dysregulated, irritable, fatigued, that kind of thing. Or we flip into more of the two higher and lower ends, so the hyperarousal, which I often link, I often give the image of a volcano, so this idea of this explosion and we can't hold anything anymore. So you might see anxiety, panic attacks, anger, all of that kind of stuff coming out. And then on the other end, we have hypoarousal. So it's like the iceberg. We're shut down, we're numb. You know, those days you just want to put the blankets back up over your head and not get out anywhere. And we might find that we're flipping between the two. And so what will often happen is one of those uh, higher or lower ends will feel familiar for us, but then we will also find this idea of what goes up must come down. So there will often be a combination of the two. And so a lot of the work I will do with people and within that eight-week trauma-sensitive program is noticing where we are with our window of tolerance. That's kind of the foundation of the program to really get good at noticing where you're at with it and then looking at ways you can either start to bring your body back down into your window of tolerance or bring it back up and to get more to get back into your body if you're feeling more numbed out so that's the essential premise and the foundation of and I think a lot of your programs as well Georgia around what we're doing Um, but yeah I have um, you know on my IGTV there's um a video explaining it a bit more on my website as well. Um, there's an audio series that takes you through it. So, yeah, you guys can explore at your own leisure if you like. Yeah, I think on a personal level, of course, incredibly powerful to understand the window of tolerance. And if we think to everyone listening, I know there are a lot of martial artists in instructor roles. And for me, when I think about the future and and I'm, I'll make it no secret that I'm strong. I'm really looking towards, and I have no doubt that there will be trauma aware martial arts instructor courses coming and trauma informed martial arts instructor courses. And to me, the distinction being someone who's trauma aware really understands the window of tolerance, what it is, and can look for signs that their students might be exiting it and help bring them back into that window. So when we think about learning new motor skills, completely impossible to learn a motor skill and retain that knowledge if you're outside of your window of tolerance. It's not a time for learning to be trying to learn new skills. And I think sometimes we have this idea that we're going to pressure test skills in in martial arts. You know, um, if you train hard to fight easy, but if somebody is feeling super stressed because of the pressure of repeated rounds, you know, like inspiring or something like that, they're not retaining what they're learning, even though they they might be, it might seem like they're building their resilience. And I think learning to toe that line will produce, if anything else, much better martial artists, much more successful in competition martial artists and much more well-rounded martial artists with great technique. And I, and I like to really look at from a sporting performance, how does the window of tolerance relate to, I don't know if you see stuff like that. Oh, totally. Like, you know, and I think it it can be generalised to anything, like any sport, any kind of learning new skills, whether motor or cognitive, you know, so many people come into my sessions and they're like, right, I want to like process a trauma. I want to work through it. I want to tell you all the things. And it's like, if we don't have the skills to ground and remain safe and stable whilst we're doing that, we're just going to end up re-traumatizing ourselves, which is not helpful. And it is counterintuitive to the point that they're coming to see me anyways. So it is like, it is so foundational. 
And it is only from there, yeah, we know that if we're not in that window of tolerance, the brain shut down, like the cognitive part of the brain is literally shut down and we're only working from a survival instinct, like reptilian part of the brain. So we're not going to retain the cognitive information. We're not going to, I imagine with the motor skills, like we're not going to retain like there's a cognitive aspect to motor skills, right? Like there's a difference between, you know, like I think back to dancing and I'm like, yeah, you know, I was um, hypermobile, so I'm just flinging my limbs everywhere. And it's like now in my adult life, my like I've had to pull right back from that because, yeah, now there's there's hips and there's pelvis issues and there's all these things because I didn't have the cognitive awareness and that window of tolerance that, okay, just because I can fling my leg or, you know, do the splits or kick this high, it doesn't actually mean that it was helpful for my body because there was, there was no, there was no core. There was no foundation for retaining it and keeping me safe. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we think about learning a skill, you've only, really we define having learned a skill as being able to repeat it after some time has passed and in different um, conditions. So if the environment looks different, the thing that you're, the stimulus that you're doing it in reaction to is slightly different and you can still perform the skill. Otherwise we generate what's called performance um, as opposed to actual learning. And that is one of the main criticisms that I have of traditional teaching methods where if I tell you, okay, when you're in this pose, move your arm this many degrees, keep moving, keep moving, I'm adjusting, adjusting, adjusting you, telling you where you want to end up and, and then even forget the window of tolerance, right? Maybe you're, you're, if you're out of your window of tolerance, your brain's not even there. If I took a picture of you, you looked like you're in the perfect yoga pose, but nothing sunk in because your head wasn't there and you didn't make the choices. And if I asked you to come back tomorrow and hop into the same pose for me, you probably couldn't do it because it didn't sink in on a cognitive motor level. Totally. And I think this is where, you know, the injury conversation comes into it as well, right? You know, like, whether it's yoga, whether it's kickboxing and martial arts, you know, so often people come in and they're like, oh, I just want to get more flexible or I just want to do the splits. And then people are surprised when they get injured because, you know, they're taught to just push through. I mean, I think that's changing in the yoga world, but there, there's definitely still a lot of that breathe into the pain, you know, mm. if there's, you know, if, if you're noticing, you know, pain, just keep breathing into that space. And I mean, that's different to sending breath to a space of discomfort, right? But like, if you're, you're in pain because of a shape you're in, and you can very easily step out of that shape to stop that pain and potential further injury, we want to be encouraging that, you know, and, and I think this is where that hypo-aroused state comes in, that if there's people-pleasing, perfectionism, any of that kind of like I want to be the good student stuff coming through, which, you know, we're all taught to be through our systems of learning mm-hmm. in Western society, that we go to that default as opposed and then we, and then we shut down, we dissociate. We go, okay, if I just hold this here for X amount of time and hold it out, eventually they're going to tell me to move. Even though your body could be screaming and saying there's stuff flowing through me and I need to move right now. So that that's where we're perhaps this is where that mind-body disconnect can really come in because people are ignoring what so clearly their body is saying. But we've got really, really good at just ignoring that or shutting that down or pushing that away. Yeah, totally. I think the the people pleasing we see so often that comes in and that is so conditioned. You want to do what the teacher says and you want to get the gold star. You want to earn praise. I think mm. we have to earn praise. And I think there's also quite a deep rooted belief in exercise and movement practices in general that they have to involve some sort of discomfort to be effective you know, no pain, no gain. If the stretch isn't hurting, then I'm not actually pushing the ends of my range of motion and I'm not going to get more flexible tomorrow. Or if I'm not feeling like I'm absolutely dying in this martial arts session, then I'm not getting fitter and there's no point of even 
being here. And that stops so many people, so many of my clients to say, you know, I have never stuck to an exercise program because anytime I felt less than a hundred percent, I didn't go because I thought there's no point in even doing the session. Mm. If I'm not going to give a hundred percent, though, all these things that are conditioned into us, I think it's so great to be curious about them and question whether they're serving us or not. Yeah, totally. And that's why I love the window of tolerance because it's not just talking about being in the window and then being at the two extremes. So there's this halfway point of being on the edges and feeling a bit dysregulated or feeling a bit uncomfortable. And then the the work, I guess you could call it, is really about, yeah, being curious for yourself around what that means when you're in the window versus when you're on the edges versus when it's too far. And I really like um, movement as a way to explore that. Yeah, it's <laughs> I mean, we're very, very biased, but I've just seen it's <laughs> movement is and, and there's definitely a place for talk therapy. Of course there is. There's so totally. so so many people that are doing something like that. It's not to say that there's not because there is, but to totally leave the body out of the picture and to see the, the body and mind as two separate things that aren't the one thing is, well, we're, we're very clearly moving away from that now yeah. in, in the psychology world. And, and I think generally people are, are very accepting of that. And, and you can see that in how trauma sensitive yoga has exploded and taken off in popularity. And when we explain these, this programs, the curiosity project to people, they're like, Oh yeah, that t- to do kickboxing as a way to explore like all these different emotions and your body. It just makes sense. Like it it makes sense to involve your body in these kind of processes. Totally. And I always say to, you know, particularly to colleagues and, you know, people within that psychology field, particularly when I was starting out, you know, this is not something that's meant to replace talk therapy. This is complementary to mm. talk therapy. Like you said, that that still serves a purpose, of course. We're cognitive, meaning-making beings. We can't ignore that side of it. But there, there's also more to the story. And there's a reason why people will stay in talk therapy for years and years and years and years and still feel stuck because there has to be more that is moving and being embodied and integrated than just retelling a story. Um, because every time we're retelling a story, body's reacting as if that's happening again and it's like, oh, well, that thing's still happening. So the process is never finished. And so, you know, I always frame it that, you know, this this space of, trauma-informed and trauma-sensitive yoga is really providing those foundational skills so that you can then go do that individual therapy work, you know, with your counsellor, psychologist or whoever it may be. Yeah, and I always like to tell my clients, like, if if you figure something out both ways, right, if you figure something out and you're like, oh, I started, I got really better at noticing this part of my body and now I want to get more ideas for how I can practice some of that outside, that can be a great thing to discuss in talk therapy. It could also be, you know, when I did this, this came up for me, this emotion and this was scary and I want to, you know, sit through and process all of that. We're in a group setting. It's not possible for us to have a one-on-one conversation about that to then go back to your one-on-one talk therapist and say, you know, this is what happened. What do you think? And, And in that way, we've seen some amazing results of people not just having these yoga kickboxing skills, but having these life skills that they start to use when they're in other stressful situations. Yeah. And it is like, it's really cool to see people's confidence shift and, you know, then feeling courageous enough to go into a gym or go into another space. You know, I've had um, you know, people who have come and done it and they've been going through yoga teacher training themselves and they're like, you know, the teacher's saying this and this and this, but it's not feeling right for my body. So we've had really beautiful conversations around if they're feeling comfortable, how they can express that to their teachers. And so there's this really like ripple effect that can occur from this as well, whilst that person is feeling empowered in their body and knowing what's right for them is right for them. You know, we are all the experts of our own experience and that's number one. It's not up to anyone else to tell us how we need to experience our own body. 
it's up to us to figure that out and embody that and find what feels good for us. Yes. Yes. I could not have said that better myself. Mm. So our program is available online, purely online. And, you know, we're coming to a point now where in Australia in particular and being an online program, if you are listening overseas, can they join this program with you? I will get back. If you have questions about that and you are overseas, flick us an email and we'll follow up. (laughs) Yes. Do that because we're so we're moving away from online things with the pandemic being very under control in Australia and we're very, very privileged to be in that kind of a situation. For me, I'm still running online kickboxing classes, I'm still running online um strength training classes in addition to the in-person because I think it's so great to be able to do something in a space that you feel familiar and comfortable in without any travel time. You know, even if it's 15 minutes one way, 15 minutes the other way, that's still 30 minutes in your day compared to literally nothing from, you know, doing it at home. Um, You know, and I think too, like in a Zoom situation where you can make all the tiles whatever size you want. Some of my clients have said, you know, they just love the anonymity of feeling like they're just a small tile up the top and, you know, I'm the quite big tile. So even though they they feel the community there and we, you know, come back and kind of debrief about what went well in the session at the end, they still feel like nobody's watching them or judging them where you you know, it's certainly not a judgment-filled space when we run it in person, but I think those are some of the benefits of doing it online rather yeah. than And this in is person. why it's an introduction, right? Like it's trying yeah. it out, getting a feel for it, and that idea of building your confidence so that you may then want to go and try an in-person class somewhere um, or you may want to then extend it to the eight-week program. You know, this is an introduction really to dip your toes in and get a, get a sense of, you know, if this feels like it could resonate for you. Absolutely. And, you know, being in an online space, we are very aware that we want to be able to give individual attention too. So we still are watching and seeing how you're going and checking in. And so the class, it's not huge. Like there's not going to be 30 people in the, or 30 women in the class. This is another program purely for, um, person to identify as female and to create a safe space but again if we get enough desire to have a a mixed or to run a men's class which I do sometimes get people reaching out email us because if if the need if the desire is there we'll put it on I tend to find that majority of people wanting to do these programs are women and there is a, a safety need for them to feel safe to be in a women only environment um but places are limited so that we can really make sure that we're giving everyone enough attention. Yeah. Beautiful. And if people want to join up, they go to your website, which is. Yeah. So if people are wanting, and I'm assuming Georgie, will put this all in the show notes. I will put this in Um, the show notes. (laughs) Cool. Um, Yeah. So it's mindfullycurious.org forward slash yoga click on the yoga tab, go down to the curiosity project and then there's full payment or payment plan options and all the information is there. Um, We start 11th of May. So if you're interested, go and jump on and secure your space and then, yeah, we'll send out the registration paperwork from there and get you all sorted and ready to begin. Amazing. I am so excited to be doing this project. Like we've talked about it for a while and I love when things that are just an idea have come to fruition. And I think it's, this is going to be one of my favorite programs to run. Not that, you know, I don't love all of my programs, <laughs> but there's, there's so many reasons I'm, I'm really excited for this. I'm okay. really excited to have a theme each week too. All of these themes are integrated in my program, but we haven't done them as structured as you've set up. And I love that we're going to include some of that. And that's probably going to rub off into some of my other programs as we evolve. I'm really looking forward to running this program with you, Mon. Yes, me too. Me too, Georgia. Can't wait. (laughs) Uh, And follow uh, Monique on Instagram is at mindfully at dot curious. Yeah, there's a dot there. There's totally a dot. Mindfully dot curious. Yeah. 
Cool. I'll also put that in the show notes if Beautiful. you prefer to get all your updates about everything via social media. And then, yeah. of course, like the links to the And I've also the got a there. free uh, trauma-sensitive yoga recording. Like it's just a 10-minute audio. So if mm-hmm. people want to get a bit of a feel of what it's like to check in with the window of tolerance and the kind of style of what the yoga would be like, um, I'll also send you the link for that that you can put there so people can access that in their own time. That is a great idea. And until then, until I see you in the program and until next week, thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Have you thought of something to be grateful for today? What was it? I'm grateful for the amazing women that train with me at the Fight Back Project. I'm grateful for Nari and the beautiful song Shape Me heard at the beginning and end of every episode. And I'm grateful for you for listening to this show and helping martial arts keep saving lives. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to leave me a review to help more people find the show, that's a bonus. You need to know that nobody shapes me but me. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless I fear nothing, no complacence Walk too many tight ropes with no hope So I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders You don't need to know my history, I move boulders Atlas shrug cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers This goes deeper than empowerment cause I'm the one that power it Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives No longer isolated, but elevated and selective Darkest places become beautiful spaces This is where rage meets patience Meets power meets gracious Meets we're so glad you came in the feeling is contagious When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions When you the manifest enough collecting all they tensions You the soul and body hold it all and still remember But I'm a work in progress testament to all contenders Forgot what it was like to have control over self Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge Forgot in my reflection I could see all my wealth Forgot that with my bare hands I break all these bars Barriers and obstacles They can't cage me They can't chronicle all my, all my experiences and reduce them to appearances When I was truly beaten, gave myself clearances To fall down, mess up, and get myself back up I'm not looking for clovers cause I don't believe in luck Damn, you were badass, I heard them say it clearly Why thank you very much, I know now I'm not weary Of what's next for me cause I expect to see Growth like I was planted, watered, fed, and bloomed To be the positivity and accountability Knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency I think I found my voice again, huh? I think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin Boundaries, I know them well, take a breath and meditate Who is she? I know her well, now I get to open gates One, two, one, two, I don't need your permission And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition To know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing And everything I do, that's me making decisions Is truly underrated, the value of self-worth Forgot that I was rich from the moment of my birth A penny for my thoughts, no really, you can't afford it You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh?